0: Bibles, um, go ahead and mark Hebrews 10. That's where we're we're going to spend uh, the majority of our time in Scripture. Um, So go ahead and turn there and mark your spot. But we are currently in a series entitled Worship 1, 2, 3. So a few weeks ago, um, we defined worship. What is worship? Worship is um, from the Hebrew word that means to bow down. So in the most basic sense, it's a display of something. It's an expression. And we, we uh, further specified that by saying that Christian worship is the sincere. If anyone was here this morning, Pastor Bobby talked about the word sincere a little bit. But Christian worship is the sincere satisfaction in God that displays his worth. So that's what Christian worship is. Christian worship is all about a heartfelt love and wonder of God that then takes itself and expresses how awesome and wonderful he is. So we talked about how worship can be understood as worship 123 and that worship has one object. There's only one thing, person, object of worship, uh, and that's God. We don't worship Anything else, we don't elevate anything else in our lives like sports, academics, popularity, relationships to that position of God because that is an idol. So last week, or the week before, was that last week? Yeah, we talked about how God is the only object of our worship. And then worship, the two of worship one, two, three, talks about how there's two contexts, two situations or environments to our worship. We worship as Christians. When we come together and gather, which we're doing right now, and when we scatter, when we go outside of these church doors. So we worship both in worship services and not in worship services. And then we'll go on to talk about the three part of worship that there's actually three audiences of worship there's God, there's one another, other Christians, and there's unbelievers, others, or nations. So tonight, We're on the first part of the context. We're going to talk about why we gather. Why do we come here and do this? Why as Christians are we coming together and sitting around tables right now listening to me talk? Like, what are we doing? So this is a question that's actually plagued me for a long time. Why? Why do we do what we do? I've devoted a lot of hours to asking this question, searching for this answer in, um, in scripture, and if I'm honest, a lot of the times I'm sitting in church and this question just keeps going over and over my head, why, why, why? So this is um, something that's, I think, very important to our Christian faith, but I want to give you guys some time to answer around your table. I want you guys to kind of discuss, as Christians, why do we gather? Why do we come together and do what we do? It doesn't have to be the right answer. Just think about why do actually people come together and do this. So I'm going to give you some time, and then we're going to kind of um, review some of your answers, okay? So take some time. As Christians, why do we gather? Why do we come together on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, okay? Go. Connor Garen, are you Googling this? Okay. I'm About to say, as Christians, why do we gather Google? I don't know if Google would have a good answer. All right, so I'm not going to go around to each table. Does anyone want to offer what they came up with? <laughs> Allie, do you want to? Uh, and there's no judgment here. Sure. <laughs> Can we go second? Go second? Yeah. Does anyone want to go first? Delaney? Awesome. Great. So the, there was kind of the learning, and then there was the fellowship, strength in one another, the community aspect. I like that. Okay, Allie? Um, She's going to say exactly what you said. Watch. Being surrounded by Christians and increases our knowledge and walk with Christ Okay, great. So it increases the knowledge, okay, and there's the community aspect of it. Anybody want to add something? Sid? Yeah. Challenge and encourage one another. That's great. Okay, good. Juan? <laughs> we were created in Christ's image, so what better way to honor God than Him creating us to gather Christians together and challenge each other on a basis? Okay, so challenge one another. Again, that kind of language. That's good. Anybody else? Fellowship. Mighty time of fellowship. Okay. Good. Thank you, Steph. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, um, you guys gave really, really good answers. Um, I th- I think um, we're kind of kind of frame it around some important stuff. But the first thing I want to do um, is talk about what we don't gather for. In other words, what a bad understanding of gathering is. And there's a lot of bad reasons that we come together. There's a lot of wrong reasons we come together and gather on Sundays, Um, but I'm just going to talk about two in particular that we may experience in the modern American church, okay? Number one, this is a wrong reason to gather, a wrong reason to come to church as a place, is we gather to encounter or experience God. You may hear of worship services sometimes labeled um, worship experiences, uh, this is something that we can really trace back to a time in church history in America called revivalism. In the colonial times of America, the church was exploding through these things called revivals. A guy named George Whitfield was coming from England to travel around and do these things. You know, at one time, they thought that one in three Americans had heard Jer- George Whitfield speak. This is actually very similar to, like Billy Graham, who just recently passed away. He was very similar to a revival type. Preaching and worship service. Right? And the main issue is this the main um, um, desire or purpose of those revivals, specifically at that time, was to create a life changing moment. Okay? They wanted this service that you came to to be a life changing moment or experience for you. So, with that, for better or for worse, they're oftentimes very spectacular, emotional experiences, right? So with this, um, there there was a lot of people coming to catch a feeling and for that feeling to then propel them to make some changes in their life, okay? So we saw this a lot with that revival time period. Now for us, we have adopted that experience-focused model in a lot of different ways, right? we have the roots of this movement, whether we realize it or not, in this experience um, movement in our own worship services sometimes. People often show up to worship, to gather, so that they can encounter or experience God. Now, while God is certainly experienced here, God is certainly um, encountered here, the presence of God is here, what this does is this mistakenly assumes that God is only here. Right? It assumes that you can't experience God past those double doors. Right? What, this do, what it does is it turns this room into a temple. Because back in biblical times, the only place you could experience God's presence was in a temple. Now, this is really the, the purpose of what we see in the Garden of Eden, in the tabernacle, and then the temple. It was a place for you to gather around so you could experience God's presence because it wasn't outside those doors. It wasn't outside that tent. Everyone making sense, right? That was a place, a locale where you can experience God. So in this movement, in this modern movement, we sometimes think of church like that. Like this is a temple. But that's not how the New Testament talks about the temple. Because what Jesus did, Jesus came and he instituted what's called a new covenant. And he took our hearts and removed the stone-hardened hearts that we have. And he gave us hearts That could follow him. And he did that. Listen to me. He did that by giving us his spirit, by giving us the Holy Spirit. And what Paul says, a writer in the New Testament, he says that we've become the temples of God. We ourselves are the temples. We don't need to go to a location. We don't need to go somewhere to experience and encounter God because the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, dwells inside of us. Radical concept. A radical idea. We don't have to go somewhere to experience God because we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Right? So that's the bad reasoning to come to the gathering. If you come so you can experience God, it's not necessarily that God isn't there, that God's presence isn't here because He is. But it's that you don't understand that you have the presence of God inside of you because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit yourself. Right? Does that, that make sense? Because if you just think that um, you go to church to get an experience, you're just going to start riding the wave. Like you're getting your fill till the next Sunday, right? It's like you're treating Jesus as juice or like medicine. It's like, I just got to get through the next week, right? And you're just going to go through life thinking that the only time you experience God is in this room and you go home and your parents and your siblings are fighting and bickering You're addicted to pornography. You don't have any true friends. You're continually stuck in a bad relationship, right? And the ordinary aspects of your day-to-day life are not filled with the presence of God because you assume that it only happens here, right? So don't miss out on the fact that God lives in you. If you are a believer in Christ, you have faith in Jesus Christ. He lives inside of you through the Holy Spirit, and you can experience him every moment of every day. You don't have to come to this building. You don't have to hear me talk to experience God. You don't have to have songs sung through these speakers to experience God. You can experience God through his word, through prayer, by the Holy Spirit who is in you. It's amazing. So what what this will do for you is it will release you to experience God every single day of your life. And that's so important. So important. So, a lot of times we assume this kind of temple model um, is the way to go. We, we talk like this, like the, whole, the song um, Holy Spirit. Great song. We sing it here. Right? I love the song. But it's Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place, fill the atmosphere. Right? That language is a, sometimes gives you the sense that he's not in the room yet. Right? We don't have to welcome the Holy Spirit into the room. He's inside of me. And I don't want him just in this atmosphere, I want him inside of me, right? So we kind of, we we don't realize that we use this temple model a lot. And really another thing that's bad about this is if it's all about the experience that you have here, you will elevate your preference above everything else. You will start making decisions about how you gather and what we do in this gathering based on your personal preference, you will only want the music to be a certain style. You will only want the lights to be at a certain level. You will want the music to be this ladder. You'll play this many games, right? If, if it's all about your experience and what you experience, then you'll start valuing your preference above everything else. And that's where it leads into another reason, another bad reason to gather, is we gather to consume the Christian product. Sometimes I say that this is like, We come here to to drink the Jesus juice. We're we're assuming that this church, as a member of the staff of this church, we assume that I'm given the responsibility to create a product for you, right? Pastor Bobby is given the responsibility to create a product for you, and you come here on Sundays to drink that said product, to intake that product, to get you to the next week, and then you come back And you can then consume this service again. You can sit back and be entertained by this production again. right? That's sometimes our thinking. But you'll never find that in the New Testament. There is no such thing as a worship service designed to entertain you. A worship service designed to just simply fill you up and then kick you out the doors. That's not how the worship service works. So oftentimes, we treat the worship service, the gathering, as a place for us to come, sit down in comfortable chairs and have a, conducted, a service conducted for us, right? So why do we treat it like this? Why do we treat the service as a, as a product? For one, it's because we just really, at the heart of it, we just want to be comfortable. We want the people... To do all this to put on a production where we can show up for an hour and feel comfortable and then leave and have our consciences soothed, right? So we're no longer guilty because I know I should go to church. But as long as it's just a product for me to consume, I can have my conscience soothed, right? I'm no longer guilty and I can go. We just want to sit in a comfy seat, mumble along with the band, put a few dollars in the plate, maybe take notes on the preacher's teachings, and then get out of there, so we can beat the lunch rush like that 's really honestly, most of us have fallen into that trap at one time or another, and a lot of times um, we a lot of times we want that we simply want church to be a product we can consume because that, that requires no investment on my part. that assumes that i 'm not a member of the body of Christ, right so we 're about to jump into what Scripture says the gathering should be, but here's the one thing in regards to this misunderstanding that you should remember. This is bad because you are supposed to participate in the body of Christ. You are not simply supposed to come and be a spectator. One of the reasons that I went to tables, and I don't know if you guys hate it or not, one of the reasons that I went to tables is because I want you guys to face each other more than you face me or the stage or the band. I want you to interact with one another more than you hear me talk at you sometimes, right? Because I think we need to break this idea that we come here to hear Taylor talk and the band sing. We come here, as we'll see in a moment, to to be involved in this process, to participate as brothers and sisters in Christ to stir up one another in love. So let's look at what the gathering's supposed to be according to Scripture. Now, uh, we'll look specifically at the passage in Hebrews 10, but I'm going to give you kind of the... The definition that I've um, kind of used, and this is what um, I think of when I'm planning services and when I'm thinking about what we should be doing on Sunday night, we gather to exalt Christ for the purpose of equipping saints for ministry and mission for the glory of God. That's what I hope we do when we gather. Let it, whatever else you want to be a part of the Sunday service, I want it to be known that we are exalting Christ for the purpose of equipping saints for ministry and mission and doing it all for the glory of God. That's why we gather. That's why we gather. So um, I'm going to show you not all the verses that I pulled this from, um, but specifically I'm going to look at Hebrews 10. So Hebrews 10, starting in verse 23 Um, that's where I'm going to kind of camp out and just show you three things uh, from this passage that kind of helped me arrive at this, and um, then we'll move on from there. So originally, I was just going to spend one night on the gathering, but this kind of turned into a two-parter. So next week, we'll also talk some more specifics around the gathering. Um, But this will just be kind of a general teaching of why we gather. So Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. I always do this. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So This passage is basically telling the writer of Hebrews, Paul or Peter, we don't really know, but the writer of Hebrews is telling uh, the people that are reading this to gather. It says, gather, gather. So let's make some just basic observations from this text, okay? Number one, this isn't specifically said in this passage, but this is what it's assuming throughout all of this, that the church is a community of people with a common unity in Christ. We see this in other scriptures like um, Philippians 2, Ephesians 4, Romans 12 that Pastor Bobby preached on last week about us being in a community of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about this. But really, it's all throughout scripture that you were not saved to be a lone wolf. You are not alone. You are in a community of people. God saved you into a family you weren't born to wander and figure all this out by yourself and struggle alone. It's an amazingly awesome gift that God has given us, that he's he saved us into a community of people. And you have to recognize this. This is at the heart of why we gather, is that we recognize that we're not alone, that we're in a community. That we have other people to, to be with us, to help us along this path. We're not alone. We are not alone. So there's one team in Christ. We have one hope. By gathering together, we display that our Christian life involves community. And that community, listen, it's not established by your choice or by your preference. It's established by a deep unity in Christ. Like you were born into the family of God. One of the things about being born is you don't get to choose how, where, or when you're born. Don't get to do it. So the church is very similar. You don't get to choose the community that you're in. You don't get to choose your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's not really how community works. See, we're under the idea that we get to choose who is in our community, and who's not. Right? Unfriend, block, not in my community. Not in my community. But the church, you, you cannot unfriend your church. Right? You, you are in the church community. It's a forced community, much like your family. And so, but the, the great thing about that is your community will never change. Your community can't be taken away from you because you didn't establish it. Jesus Christ established it. And so it is, it is not according to your own preferences or your own choices, but it is according to the unity that Jesus Christ gives us. Awesome thing. It's a, it's a great thing. It frees us to be true and vulnerable and honest and transparent with one another because we're not going anywhere. We're, We're in a community together. So number two that we see in this, specifically in verse 25, basic thing, we should not neglect meeting together. We should not neglect meeting together. We're actually called to spend time with one another, be with one another, hang out, experience real relationship. God calls you to do that. God calls you to be in community with one another, to meet together. So this point is simple. We should try to be here. Guys, listen, we should try to be here. We, we, We might have to make some sacrifices to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We may have to choose not to be on that sports team. We may have to choose to do our homework on Friday nights. We may have to choose to hold one another accountable to being here. Not because it's like, hey, we should go to church, but... We are called as brothers and sisters in Christ to meet together, to be here. So we might have to make sacrifices to do that. I promise you, you'll have to make sacrifices to do that. And listen, the fact that the writer of Hebrews says that, says this, that he's like, don't, don't forsake this, don't neglect meeting together, it shows that we have a natural tendency to often isolate ourselves or think that we'll be happier alone. We have this tendency in ourselves, because relationships are hard, we have this tendency in ourselves to think we'll be happier or better off alone. Listen, you will never grow in your spiritual life as a Christian if you do not have a brother or sister in Christ who's stirring you up to love and to do good works alongside of you. You were born into a community, and you will grow best as a part of that community. That's how God has established it to be designed. So don't believe the lie that you'll be happier alone or that you'll grow better alone. You won't. You won't. So it's kind of a discipline. It's a discipline for us to be here, to kind of involve ourselves in the choice to be here. So also, we don't want to neglect meeting together because of the reason we meet together, which is the next point. We meet together to stir up one another to love and good works. That's what he says in verse 24. Now, it's also tied to verse 23, where he says, hold fast to your confession. One of the ways you hold fast to the gospel in your life, and you don't let go, you got a tight grip on the gospel, is by being in a community with people. One of the ways you hold fast to your confession is by being in community with people. The number one reason that people, I believe, leave the faith is because they distance themselves from the community of God. Don't buy into the lie that you just need Jesus and you don't need the church. Don't do that. Because we meet together to stir up one another in lo- to love and good works and also to hold fast to our confession. So when we gather on Sundays or when we gather in small groups or in Sunday school or with midweek, our goal should be to stir one another to love and good works, and also to be stirred up in love to good works. So, is that why you gather? Do you gather to stir up other people in this room to love God more, to love one another more, and to do good works, works that would honor God, that would um, lead to His mission, His glory? Or do you gather for different reasons? Do you gather on Sundays simply because that's what you've always done? and your parents drag you here. Well, here's a time where we can take to say, I'm going to gather for the right reasons, and I'm going to put into place some things I can do to stir up one another in love. One of the main reasons we do not value the gathering, the church, is because we have the idea idea that we gather to just get fed ourselves. So if if that's our understanding, that we just come to be fed, um, The afternoon where you wake up from your Sunday nap, you're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, uh, my life's good. I'm totally fine. I don't even really need a lot of the stuff Taylor talks about. Like, I'm okay. You know? You won't come. You won't come. Part of that is not understanding that you meet, not so that you can get your fill, but you meet to stir up one another in love. That means not only do you need to be stirred up, but you need to stir up other people. So you may be good in your Christian walk. You may be having a good week. You may be having a good day. You still have the responsibility to gather as the body of Christ to stir up another person who honestly isn't having a good week, who's struggling. And you're here to be a support system for that brother and sister in Christ to say, hey, look, God has got this. Here's what he's doing in my life. Here's how he's working in my life. How how can he work in your life? Right? Right? So, you may be thinking you're fine. You may be thinking that everything's okay. That you don't need God this week. But here's the reality. Another person here does. And also you do. You never have arrived in the Christian life. You're never stirred up enough. You're never fine. Right? You can always grow to be more and more like Jesus. And if you have that mindset, then you will have a a a better motivation to be here. So, even if you don't feel that you need to be stirred up in love, there's another person here that does. So, here's the question. How do we stir up one another in love? Like, really, what are we talking about? It's like a smoothie, blender, stirring up love in it. What is going on? Like, how do you encourage one another to love, to do good works? And um, next week... That's what we're going to do. We're going to talk specifically about some things that we do when we gather that helps us stir up one another in love. But the most general way to stir up one another is this. Exalt Christ. Show how awesome he is, how worthy he is. And that's what we're talking about with worship. If you worship Christ and you come together and you you start exalting Christ, Christ. This is what he's doing in my life. This is what he's done in the gospel. This is what he can do for you. This is what he's teaching me in scripture. By exalting Christ, you'll stir up your brother and sister in love in the most general way, general sense. So one of the main things we do when we gather is exalt Christ, and we do that by remembering the gospel together. We remember the gospel together. We're, we, when we sing When we preach, when we pray, when we give, serve, we are remembering the gospel together and and exalting Christ. And in all of that, we stir up one another in love. But here's the thing. there's the challenge for all of us. How can I love and be loved in the gathering? How can I do that? Because the writer of Hebrews says says let us consider in verse 24 let us consider how let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works it's almost like the writer of hebrews is saying like you guys got to figure out how to do this yourselves how do you do this how do you take the gospel and use it to love your brother and sister in Christ let you consider that how can you consider to or how can you consider how to stir up one another in love? That's something that you can meditate over this week. And then how will that transform how we gather? So that's our challenge for us today. Let us consider that. And I think we need to remember, as we come together, we need to hold one another accountable. That that's the reason we're here. We're, reason to, we're, we're here to stir one another up in love. We're not here to simply play games. Not here to listen uh, to the band, to listen to Taylor, to um, simply play Super Smash Brothers, I don't know. We're, we're here to exalt Christ with, to one another, to stir one another up in love.